Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Highest Aspirations, an education podcast that focuses on topics related to English language learners and how we can make a greater impact. Highest Aspirations is brought to you by Elevation Education, your partner for ELL program management and instruction. I'm your host, Steve Sophronis. This episode is part of our special Reimagining Education series. To help visualize what the future might look like for English learners, their teachers, families, and communities, we are bringing together the people who are working to ensure that students have every opportunity to achieve their highest aspirations, despite these unprecedented challenges. We'll bring in EL leaders from around the country to discuss what they are planning for when schools reopen, how they plan on mitigating learning loss, how they are restructuring educator roles and resources under possible budget constraints, and much more. As always, we are committed to keeping you informed and inspired with resources to help you support your English learners. If you'd like to find more information or contribute to the series, check out our distance learning page at distance.elevation.com. Remember that Elevation has two L's. We'll be releasing new episodes as we record them, so new information will always be available. As always, thanks for listening, stay safe, and take care of each other. Laura Grisso, thank you so much for joining us on Highest Aspirations. Thanks so much for having me, Steve. I'm really excited to be here today. Absolutely. I was just saying before we started that uh, that you've done a lot of great things um, with us at Elevation collaboratively on our products and other things as well. And I just can't believe we haven't had you on here yet, but I'm glad to finally be able to chat with you on the podcast. Well, I, what do they say? I, I'm a regular listener and I'm just excited to have this opportunity to uh, get to share out. Great. And no better time than now as we try to share um, some of the great things um, and, and courageous and somewhat uh, unpredictable times that the people are doing. So um, let's start off by just telling, if you could tell us a little bit about uh, your role and where you are calling us from. Sure. So I am the Executive Director of Language and Cultural Services for Tulsa Public Schools in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And how many English learners do you guys have there? Refresh my memory and for those in the audience. Absolutely. We have a little over 8,700 English learners. Um, It's about, say, 25% of our total student population. Right. So a large number. Um, and it's a number actually that, that many will be familiar with and kind of that, it's hard to call that a mid-range, but uh, around the country, there are lots of folks sort of in your position right now. So let's start off with talking about your English learners and um, what Tulsa uh, is doing now and what you sort of hope to do to mitigate any extended um, learning loss that we might be experiencing for, for those students. So what we did during distance learning, which for us, our school year actually wrapped up this past Friday, the 15th. We get out a little bit earlier. Thank you. Than most. We, uh, we start early as well. So we, we've just wrapped up. We're in the process of launching some summer activities. But during distance learning in the school year, um, our team launched courses using our regular uh, English language development curriculum in Canvas, integrating different strategies and um, resources and supports. So we tried to launch a lot of resources that way, and we, our district actually launched a, a data dashboard to track engagement. And our L's, our English learners really maintained a high level of engagement uh, relatively during the distance learning. So that was exciting. We also focused a lot on like SEL and making sure, first of all, that aside from the learning, is everybody okay in this situation? Do families have what they need? And, and are you connected? And do you need more resources? So we tried to basically serve from all angles during this time. Yeah, we've heard from lots of folks about the second point you mentioned, which was the social emotional piece. And 
when we were doing our look for the helper series and we were in the midst of this whole thing and it was new to everybody, the first thing that people said to me was, we just want to make sure that, that folks are okay. And then stage two is kind of moving on to making sure that instructionally um, those students were taken care of. But that's amazing that you're seeing relatively high levels of engagement. Tell me a little bit more about that dashboard that you have in place. Is that something that you created on the fly that you already had? Are you going to continue using it moving forward? So our data team that we have in-house for the district, um, they're a great resource, a great group of people. And they wanted to basically track the metrics to see across our student uh, body, across our schools, who's engaging. And then they were able to disaggregate that by student subgroups. So we were able to look at the data of our English learners, our former English learners, compared to our non-English learners. And both of our former English learners and our non-English learners um, maintained actually higher engagement than our non-English learners. So shout out to our English learners and our teachers for connecting. Um, I believe as we move forward and figure out what does the future school year look like, I definitely believe that'll be a piece that um, continues because we want to make sure that our kids are engaged and supported and have the resources they need. And then if they're not or we see those dips, we want to do that deeper dig to find out why and what can we do, whether it's a change in our services or providing resources they need to support that engagement because people just need to be engaged right now. Yeah, especially given the fact that there are, I'm sure, you know, I don't know if it's a fact everywhere, but it's certainly in a lot of places that there's less assessment data to rely upon to look at sort of where students are, which if you're doing like formative assessments and you're really keeping track of what students are doing like you are, it seems like that's that's not a terrible thing necessarily, but it's certainly something that's been relied upon. And you started to talk about, um, you know, moving forward in the future. Let's, let's, let's get into that. I mean, we, you know, you, I think you just kind of alluded to the fact that you don't necessarily know, like most others, exactly what school is going to look like in the fall. But we certainly anticipate seeing both fully remote learning um, for some places and, and maybe blended and blended and in-person in others. We just don't know what's going to happen. And given that probability and uncertainty, um, what are you doing to to make sure that equitable access is provided um, to students, to English learners in particular, and 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 how can that be effective? Are there like new initiatives that you're looking at? Are you building upon what you've already done? How does that look? I would say it's a combination of all. So we're looking at um, the work that our teachers did and our teams did to really turn around and launch something quickly this last qu school quarter that we weren't really in a, a prepared space to do. No one knew that all of a sudden we were going to have to do this online. And um, just a shout out to my team and our teachers that they did a great job of providing that engagement and boosting uh, the, the resources available. So then moving forward, how can we take what we've done well and improve on it? How can we um, improve on the things that we just sort of did our best to do? But then when it comes to our students, we want to make sure that they have the resources they need. So actually, as a city um, in Tulsa, there's a new initiative to really look at the equity issues. And that's been an exciting outcome of this work. Look at the equity issues when it comes to uh, Internet access because that is such a need for people who all of a sudden have to work remotely or right. have to students who have to learn online. And so they've put together a committee at the city level that's cross-functional from different organizations, including Tulsa Public Schools, to, to look at where, where are the disparities, where, what neighborhoods, what families, uh, across race and ethnicity and income levels, who does and doesn't have access, and then as a community, how can we say we value all of our people and this is important, so we're going to work together to solve this for future need. 
Yeah, that collaboration is going to be crucial. You were talking a little bit about that before we click the record button. And I know that you mentioned there's an article about that that we'll make sure that we we link to because, I mean, whatever we can do to get all parties on board is key. And as you mentioned, that access to technology and certainly no secret, but the infrastructure and the logistics is 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 just the foundation of everything. If you're going to do this distance learning, um, you know, to make sure that everybody not only has devices, but just internet access in general. So that's great that the city's um, doing that. So let's talk about sort of evaluating um, your needs as a system, as, a, as an EL department. Um, how are you going about figuring out what it is that you need, whether it's, you know, uh, more teachers or reallocating positions or, uh, or technology or whatever the case may be? Um, you know, this is, this is obviously under the, the stress of, of not really, I'm sure, knowing exactly what the budget is and, and those pressures. Um, how are you going about doing that right now? And I know that's a tough question. It, it is, um, but it is definitely something that is on the, uh, in the conversation on the agenda in every meeting that we have, whether it's in our team or at our district level. So as a district, we are getting ready for, to engage in um, data collection sounds formal, but basically making sure student voice and family voice are engaged in this process. Um, we're fortunate that we have resources that we can engage in distance learning from our end, but what is that experience of our students and families? So our data team, again, um, a shout out to them. They do a lot to help us with surveys and data collection. Our senior leadership team is leaning in um, to make sure we're identifying the right points. And then we're networking with community partners to make sure that through whatever means. So if we can engage in phone conversations, um, socially distanced parking lot meetings of a few people um, just to have that face-to-face. -face. But whatever opportunities we need to do to get authentic engagement and voice from our students and parents, what has this experience been like for you? What do you need moving forward to better engage in learning? Or even just what resources do you need at home? Do you need to connect with a community food bank? Or do you need help with electricity um, or other utilities? That That kind of thing. But um, it's, there's a big priority uh, to make sure that that voice is there for our students, families, but as well as our teachers. Many of our teachers have faced challenges in this new situation as well. They always had their internet when they came to school, but maybe not at home. So we're really trying to take in all factors, but make sure the voice of the people we're here to serve is actively engaged in identifying what those are. Yeah, and I, I want to focus on two of those pieces. I think we've, we've talked a lot on the podcast about teachers, and I'm glad you mentioned the needs of teachers because that's crucial, obviously. And we, we've also talked a, a lot about family engagement, but I want to get your perspective on it because I know you're doing great things there. Um, but but I want to start with, the, with what you mentioned about students and student voice. I was just having a conversation today with somebody who's a, an advocate for English learners that may appear on the podcast later, and she was talking a lot about um, she's not seeing a lot of that student voice, particularly students who are maybe at the high school or even middle school level, um, talking about what their experience has been like um, to inform future decisions. Are, could, could you elaborate a little bit more on what you're, what you're trying to do with student voice, particularly for those who are uh, English learners or other vulnerable groups? Sure. So um, we, across the district, equity is one of our primary core values, and that's something that even being just one of five core values is the one of the ones that we really focus on and talk about the most. And through learning more about that, examining our own biases, perspectives, and understandings, 
we've really come to recognize as an organization that um, that the voice of whoever we're serving is most important and rises to the top. And to do that, we, we try to make sure that that's a regular part of when we collect feedback and information. So does that mean that we are making phone calls to individual students um, in a language they would understand, uh, which we're doing a lot of our, our over the phone interpretation bill attests to that. It, it um, is like 600 times larger than normal, um, which is amazing. I actually had to ask for more money in my budget and I was grateful to get that. And instead of being chastised for needing more money, it was actually celebrated that it was being so widely used to engage with our students. But um, we're, we're wanting to make sure that our students can grow the autonomies they need to advocate for themselves. And part of that begins with simply asking the question right. and giving them that opportunity and making sure they understand the importance and the weight of their opinion and their voice as we design not only for them, but for future students who are living similar learning experiences. Yeah, that's great. I think that we, I feel like oftentimes, and this is coming from someone who was a high school teacher for a long time. Um, I taught high school Spanish and, you know, getting a student perspective from those high school students in particular. I mean, it's just amazing what you get and what you um, learn when you ask the right questions and really take a while mm -hmm. to look at the results. So um, having that uh, as a key part of any school's values is crucial. Um, I just feel like, I, I don't know that 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 sometimes gets um, forgotten, and I was reminded of that today when I spoke with with um, with someone about it. But anyway, um, mm -hmm. family engagement is another piece that's uh, obviously crucially important for you. you just mentioned that phone uh, interpretation system, and when we last talked, you had mentioned that you know you, you had you had to pay all this extra money, and I was like, well, how how did the how is that a celebration at times like these? But it was because you're connecting with families, which shows the value that your district and your leadership places on on family engagement. Um, Talk to me about how you're um, maintaining the relationship that you've had with families now, um, how it's grown, how you hope that it will um, evolve in the future moving forward as we move into kind of an uncertain school year, um, and what you hope it will bring to the table um, for your students and, and teachers. Absolutely. So a lot of the, the students that we're working with um, – especially our English learners or our immigrants or uh, students who've recently arrived, um, they're bringing a lot of different experiences and, and as are their families. And often their families aren't familiar with the educational system here or just thinking of basically Maslow's hierarchy of needs. They might have other immediate priorities mm -hmm. that they have to tend to in order to create that stability for this life here. Um, so we've always been engaging and providing services um, for them and working to include their voice. But I think that that partnership, if you will, between teacher and parent has become even closer during this time where parents are, they have more questions. They, they are learning to be, um, in many cases, more of an advocate for their student um, to get the right information to make sure they're sure their students have um, what they need to learn in this situation. And it's, it's just exciting to see teachers also um, seeing the success and benefits of those relationships, even at a, at a more um, intense level or purpose during right. this time where we're all working in such a remote fashion, um, that that communication is just critically important. And 
they, they, they form these bonds. I know as a parent, I always formed bonds with my children's teachers of people I could rely on. And I think now we're relying on each other even more. Definitely. And you know, the words remote and distance are interesting terms when it comes to family engagement now, because I mean, just earlier today, I was helping, you know, my eight-year-old on a Zoom call that he had with his teacher. I mean, I am in that class basically, or or I'm sort of a part of the background of that class and hearing what's going on three times a week. That's not something that, that you normally experience as a parent when you're when your child is going to a school. So yeah, in many ways, we've created a lot more intimate relationships with uh, families um, uh, and teachers, which I think is is amazing because you talk about remote and distance learning, but really barriers I think are being broken down. Are you are you witnessing that as well with, with your families? Absolutely, I, and I love what you just said about barriers being broken down. I think there have been so our, our teachers do an amazing job of family engagement, but you know what, for anyone, sometimes it is intimidating to get on a phone where you don't have that face-to-face body language communication, for sure. or there's an interpreter who speaks a language you're not familiar with, and maybe an interpreter who you don't even have that school-based relationship with. Maybe it's a, a phone interpreter, and then you have to speak to a parent and trust that it's okay. Um, those are barriers. That can be intimidating. But this situation um, has presented us with many opportunities that may have been intimidating that we've had no choice but to move forward in. And we're finding that positive experience and success, which just is then growing faith in the connections that we all need through interpreters, with family partnerships, even with colleagues, just across the board. I think the situation we're in um, due to the school closures and COVID has created a, an environment where we're just diving in and we're figuring it out together and we're seeing a lot of positive outcomes. Yeah. And I, I, in my opinion, it never would have happened this way had this not, had this not gone this way, you know I mean? And, and, and I think the next question is, is, is sort of on that same track, you know, where this whole series is about kind of reimagining EL education and in many ways, reimagining education in general. And you can reimagine all you want, but you can't live in that reality until everybody's on board. And now all of a sudden, everybody is on board because they, they have to be. And so uh, the next question, moving, moving past sort of family engagement, although that might be a part of this question as well, is, um, you know, you, 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 we're definitely all looking at the prospect of having fewer resources in terms of funding, maybe even people. Um, but, but we have to sort of reimagine the way that we do things. So, so what are you doing, knowing that you may have to provide more support for English learners, given what we talked about earlier with learning loss, um, with less, are you, is that like a part of the whole reimagining equation? Is there, is there a silver lining to that? Absolutely. I think again, it's a situation where we might've talked about it as a possibility in the past, but now it's a reality. So we have to dive in, um, and, and, and start that type of innovation, even, um, more intentionally and faster than we might have if we had just had the opportunity to have a bunch of meetings and continue to discuss it and never get to implementation. So um, things that we've talked about that we're we're trying to figure out how we start to implement now, um, co-teaching is one thing when you're in person and you've got two teachers in a room, but co-teaching remotely is a very different thing. So what does that look like if we start creating those blended learning opportunities or online classrooms with two teachers to support both language and academic learning, or um, what supports can we provide to our gen ed teachers to even increase their um, understanding and capacity to effectively serve ELLs 
with both those lenses, a lens for language and a lens for academic learning. Um, and there's been an increased interest. I, I mentioned earlier before we started the call that with instruction ending last week, this week we're in a week of professional learning, and there's been market, uh, a market increase in the interest from our gen ed teachers of um, participating in a lot of our English learner and dual language learner professional learning sessions this week because that need is even more present in this remote situation. Huh. What, why is that? Do you think that's directly because of, of, of remote learning? Do you think that they're seeing, and I'm just speculating, but do you think that they're seeing sure. like that, um, that those students are, uh, are maybe not participating as much as they used to, or they feel like they need to be able to, because they're not in person, they need to be able to reach them more. What, what is making them go? Cause that's, that's like a great thing that they want to be a part of that. That's, that's been a problem for many districts, cracking that code, getting content teachers um, to really want to kind of be a part of that. What do you think, how do you think that's, that's playing out? Well, I, I think, I think it's twofold in our current situation in Tulsa public schools. So um, we have never, this is the one of the first times that we've had this week of professional learning right after school started or yep. right after school ended, excuse me, um, getting ahead of myself. That's okay. Uh, right after school ended. Um, so teachers have this menu of, I think it's almost, oh, I believe it might be over 200 um, online learning sessions that they get to pick and choose what they want to engage in rather than having a prescribed professional learning path they needed to follow for their content area. Love that. So I think opening that up, there's teachers are like, well, if I can choose what I want to participate in, here are some needs I have. And, and that's not something that we've really um, done a whole lot of before. So that's exciting to see that authentic interest coming from the teachers. Secondly, I think, you know, I mentioned earlier with the data dashboard, tracking of how our English learners are engaging in online learning is actually higher than I would have expected. Um, so our students are there, and I think our teachers are feeling this, this um, responsibility of engagement and really effective instruction in this situation. We're already in a tense situation um, with, with high levels of stress, and my students are still showing up for this. I want to go even further and really make sure that I'm providing effectively for them. So I think both of those things are, are what we're seeing um, with that increased interest. Either way. Great. I mean, that's, 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 that's awesome. And to be able to have, I, I, you know, you mentioned that, that PD at the end, uh, when we, before you clicked record, and I wanted to make sure I got you, I'm glad you mentioned it because that is something that professional learning has definitely changed. It's given teachers a little bit more flexibility in some ways, more choice. And, and in, in many ways, there's just more of it. And because of everything that we're dealing with, I think it's a lot more um, intentionally planned, which is, which is great. Um, I, I do believe, sorry, Steve, I, no, I would add that you just said intentionality, and I think that's a word that I keep thinking of a lot, and just the environment we're in has increased the level of intentionality. We can't, we can no longer take for granted, if you will, that English learners being, being around, you know, English speakers will gain English. Um, that's not our environment. So the intentionality level is just so elevated at this point, and there's a lot of benefits coming from that. Right. Well, it certainly seems like within your district, within your city, um, there's a lot, uh, there are a lot of great things happening. There's a lot of collaboration. Um, you're seeing some positives from this whole thing. You're facing the challenges head on. Um, I want to, I want to make sure we touch on at least a little bit, sort of the state and federal level and their um, sort of responsibilities or contributions here. 
my, my first question is, is, is what do you think state legislators, legislatures, excuse me, can do um, to make sure that underserved students are, are taken care of? And then the sort of second part of that question is, you know, there's, there's lots of talk right now about the CARES Act and there's ESSER funds. Have you looked into any of that as a way to kind of um, sort of bolster some of the work that you're hoping to do moving forward? Um, and so that, you know, you don't, you don't experience these, um, these losses due to budget cuts? Sure. So we'll start with um, state legislature. So our, um, our state legislature is about to wrap up their session. Um, but I know that uh, with the closures and the situation that our state's facing, um, this has definitely been top of mind for them. And uh, many of them have been working actively to focus on the needs of vulnerable populations in this time. And I hope that that is something that continues. It's, it's not just, um, if we focus on the needs of vulnerable populations, particularly in this case, our English learners, and we build for the uh, resources and supports that, that serve them, all students benefit because it becomes a more thorough system, Absolutely. Um, a deeper system. And so it takes, though, a specific, and going back to the word intentional again, a specific and intentional focus on those vulnerable populations. If we treat it as, well, let's do this for all, vulnerable populations often get lost. So right. my encouragement at the state level and to our state legislatures is to be intentional about serving our vulnerable populations. Um, and in my case, I will specifically give a shout out for our English learners. Uh, but all vulnerable populations so that that intentionality can then benefit the larger all group. Uh, when it comes to the federal level, the uh, Office of English Language Acquisition actually released guidance yesterday in regards to that. Title III. Yeah. Yes, and so I've, I just began, I, I gave it a, a good skim last night, and I'm, I'm, it's on my list to really start to dig in and align to other work uh, beginning this afternoon. But... Um, at, at the federal level, we are talking as a district with the flexibilities that are coming. What can we do again to design specifically for English learners and our vulnerable populations in order to benefit the greater all? And what flexibilities um, are needed in regards to how we spend our federal grant dollars, um, how we serve our students? Because we do find many of the students who might struggle in person are thriving in this environment. Yeah. And Many, though, are also facing additional trauma and challenges. So how do we make sure we can differentiate services and resources um, to really support all of our vulnerable students? Great. Yeah, I appreciate you kind of going out on a limb there with that question because it does seem like we're in a bit of a wait-and-see approach. And, and uh, you know, there's guidance now just coming out. So maybe in the next couple of weeks, we'll have a little bit more information and and perhaps a little bit of a blueprint from folks um, uh, in, in school districts who are beginning to implement some of that guidance. Um, I think that'll be kind of the next phase here. But, um, but Laura, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. I mean, clearly, um, you are uh, sort of heads down there and you've just wrapped up the school year. It sounds like uh, successfully given, given uh, all the circumstances um, and you have some good plans moving forward. And, and maybe most importantly for right now, you've, you've scheduled a little bit of downtime for yourself, which I think is wonderful. But I'm glad we had some time to, uh, to chat before you do that. And I hope that you take some time to unplug and, and recharge because there's a lot of work to be done moving forward. There, there definitely is, Stephen. Thank you so much for the opportunity for the, the conversation and just to get to brainstorm and share on how we all serve our English learners and, and how we can all continue to leverage this opportunity moving forward 
to just improve that, um, the services, the engagement and opportunity for our kiddos. My pleasure. Thanks, Laura. Thanks for listening to Highest Aspirations. If you liked our show, please be sure to join the ELL community at elevationeducation.com slash ELL community, where you'll find all the episodes of Highest Aspirations and other resources to help educators maximize the impact on their English language learners. Also, let us know how we're doing by writing a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts.